0: Welcome to The Heart Zone, featuring George Cannon. This broadcast is a time of teaching and encouragement from Kerwinsville Christian Church. For more information, we invite you to visit us on the web at www.kerwinsvillechristian.org. And now for a message from The Heart Zone. Here's George Cannon. We're going to start a new series today, and actually we're going to spend five weeks looking
1: at the topic of lust, lies, and liberation. Lust, lies, and liberation. And we're going to be looking at that topic from the life of David. And of course we know that what we're going to be focusing on is a very well-known sin in David's life, and that is his sin with Bathsheba. Now, but as we look at this, you might be saying, well, yeah, that's pretty good, George. That may may be an interesting topic for us to look at, but I don't know that that applies to my life. Well, don't say that too quickly. Because when we look today, especially at the issue of lust, lust does not have to be for the opposite sex. Lust does not have to be for another person. Lust could be manifested in your life in many other ways. It could be the lust for power. It could be the lust for money. It could be a lust for food. All of us struggle with our desires, and if we don't allow a control in our lives over our desires, they will consume us, and they will take over our lives, and ultimately, they will destroy our lives. And that's what we're going to see. We're going to see a very well-known sin, and we're going to see application, and specifically with David's sin here, can apply to every one of us here. And let none of us think that we are immune from this issue, because the scripture is very clear, take heed, lest you fall. Because all of us, given the right circumstances, the right situation, the right digression of our hearts, we could find ourselves in a very similar situation. So today, what we're going to look at today is, is that, see, with David, you just don't wake up one morning and decide, well, today I'm going to have an affair with one of my men's wives, We're going to see that what takes place, in order for you to get to that place where you're consumed by lust, whatever that lust may be for, there is a progression that takes place. There is something, there is a process that happens, and ultimately I would describe it as a digression. There is a digression in your life that happens where you get to the place where you wake up and decide that you're going to do something that you know is wrong. And so that's what we're going to see in the life of David today. We're going to look at the first verses of chapter 11. We'll get to the rest of the story in the next coming weeks as we look at the whole issue of lies and then ultimately liberation. But today we're going to focus on the issue of lust. We're going to focus on the issue of giving into the desires of our heart when we know that they are wrong and how we get to that place. So I want you to notice with me chapter 11 of Second Samuel. Notice what the writer writes. It happened in the spring of the year at the time when kings go out to battle that David sent Joab, his servant, with him and all the Israel, and they destroyed the people of Ammon and besieged Rabbah. But David remained at Jerusalem. Then it happened one evening that David arose from his bed and walked on the roof of his house, and from the roof he saw a woman bathing. The woman was very beautiful to behold. So sent David and inquired about the woman, and someone said, Is this not Bathsheba, the daughter of Eliam, the wife of Uriah, the Hittite? Then David sent messengers and took her, and she came to him, and he lay with her, for she was cleansed from her impurity. And she returned to her house, and the woman conceived. So she sent and told David and said, I am with child. What we're going to look at here today is the whole issue of that digression or that progression in your life where you can come to the place of waking up one morning and just deciding to do what is wrong. And we're going to see some things from David's life. First of all, I want you to notice the condition of his heart. When we talk about the issue of sin, when we talk about the issue of giving into sin, when we talk about the issue of doing what we know is wrong, your heart has to be in a certain condition first. Your heart has to be at a certain place where you are able to even think about doing what is wrong. And that's what we're going to see in David's life here is that as we look at the progression, as we begin to understand how he went down that slippery slope in doing what is wrong, you and I have to recognize that his heart was in a certain condition. And so I want you to notice three things. A couple of them are very evident in the text. The third one we're going to see in the overall text of Samuel. That kind of give us an understanding of where he is and why he's doing what he's doing. The first thing I want you to notice is, is that he was comfortable with his present condition. He was comfortable with his present condition. Look with me at verse 1. Notice what it says. First of all, in chapter 10, the chapter preceding that, it describes David and his army battling Ammon the year before. And their victories over Ammon. Now we come to chapter 11, verse 1, and it says this, It happened in the spring of the year, at the time when kings go out to battle, that David sent Joab and his servants with him and all Israel, and they destroyed the people of Ammon and besieged Rabbah, but David remained at jerusalem david got comfortable up until this point in his life he would go out and fight with his armies he would go out and lead his armies to victory he would go out and do what it took to protect his people but for some reason at this point in his life he decided maybe because of the victories from the year before he decided he was okay He didn't need to go a step further this morning. He didn't need to do what He always did, and that is go and camp with His men and fight against the city and gain the victory for Israel. He got comfortable. See, my friends, that's the first deadly thing that can happen to you and I in our lives. You and I can get to the place where we become comfortable with where we're at spiritually in our walk with God. You and I can get to the place where we get so comfortable that, you know what, maybe I don't need to pray today. Maybe I don't need to read my Bible. Oh, they're not going to miss me at church. I don't need the fellowship there. And I don't need to continue to battle against these things in my life because I'm okay. In fact, it's an attitude of, I've arrived, I've matured, I've been a Christian now for this many years. And I know that Jesus loves me. I'm no longer struggling with the things I struggled before, like with assurance and so forth. I know I'm okay. And so you can get so comfortable in your life. Your heart can get comfortable with its condition. And you fail to recognize some things. You fail to recognize that really you live in a sinful body that's bent towards sin. But you know what? It doesn't really matter now because you're comfortable. See, that's what David was doing. He was comfortable. He decided, okay, Joab, you just take the army, you go do your thing. I know you're going to have the victory. I'm going to sit this one out. I'm just going to stay back here. You go do it. What do you think about that? And see, so notice what happens. Is that what happens then is that when he did that, that brings me to my next point. He was focused on self. Notice what the passage says. Look at verse two. It happened one evening, actually. Evening for for the Jew was any time afternoon, so it's probably in the late afternoon, the heat of the day. David arose from his bed, so he's living the life of leisure. He's probably bored to death, so he's just laying around napping, and it's hot. And so he decided to take a walk on the roof of his house. Now, they believed that, the, that David's palace was on a hill overlooking all of Jerusalem. So he could see all of Jerusalem from his vantage point there. So he decides to go for a walk. And his whole focus is on himself. Now let me just stop for a moment. You say, why are you saying his whole focus is on himself? Because if he was with his armies and they were fighting the battle, it was going to be hot there too. He wasn't going to be worried about, man, it's awfully hot out here today. His whole focus was going to be on doing what he needed to do, and that was to defeat the armies of Israel. But see, now he's back at home in his bedchamber. Man, it's awfully hot out here. And his whole focus is on him and what he wants. And you are going to see that, that digression through the rest of this passage, because his focus now is on what he wants, what he wants, what he wants. Listen, I need you to listen to me. When you think about the lust in your lives, I'm not just talking about the lust for individuals. It could be the lust for anything else. The whole focus and the digression is you get comfortable with where you're at. The next step down is that you begin to focus on you, what you want. I want this. It doesn't matter about anything else. I want this. I want this. I want this for my comfort. I want this so that I'm happy. And that's what we use the word, isn't it? We want happiness. Mm-hmm. We want happiness, don't we? The stuff we do for happiness. I want pleasure. And so his whole focus is on himself. His whole focus was on himself. But then there's one other thing I want you to see now, and that's this. This we see from the text, but I want this next point is what we're going to see from the overall text. And this is where, and this is an important point, he had done something to himself over the years. He had done something to his heart over the years. See, you just don't wake up and decide to do this. You don't just wake up and decide to do what's wrong. Something's got to take place. And it's a digression in your heart. You get comfortable. You start focusing on self. But there's another point that happens here. I want you to see this. He had desensitized himself concerning women. Listen, by this time, can I be honest with you? You've got to listen to me. By this time, do you know how many wives David had? The Scripture tells us up until this point, he had recorded. So this is only those that are recorded recorded. Seven wives. We don't know how many concubines he had. You say, what's a concubine? Well, some sort of mistress that they were allowed to have. By this point, he had seven women as his wives. Now you say, now how does that desensitize you? Because let me be honest with you, when your focus is on one woman, if you start adding into the mix more women, it starts changing your view of women. You begin, listen to me guys, when your focus is moved from one woman and you start looking at a lot of women, it starts changing your whole view of the one woman. Women then move from the special person that God wants them to be to being nothing but some object to be basically your lust to be fulfilled with, your desires. And that's what's happening here. He had desensitized himself to the whole issue because basically whenever he wanted a woman... He took her. We say that in the Scripture. Just go back. If you go back a little bit, I think it's in 1 Samuel. David has an encounter with a man called Nabal, whose name is Fool. And in that case, David has, was going to wipe out Nabal and all of his household. And Abigail comes and says, don't do that. You're going to hinder yourself. Well, of course, God strikes Nabal dead. So here's this widow, Abigail. And guess who takes her? David did. He just took what he wanted. But he was being desensitized. So here he comes to a situation, and listen, this is a situation that's a powerful situation. Here he comes to a situation where the woman he's seeking after is, belongs to someone else. And he had so digressed in his life now that it doesn't really matter. All he knows is, is he wants her. There was a digression that took place in his life. He had desensitized himself. See, that's what happens in our lives, my friends. Listen, listen to me. You can get to the place in the digression of your heart. You get comfortable. You start focusing on yourself, and then with the stuff that you just desensitize yourself. You just desensitize yourself. You just start allowing yourself, and it may not even be you may not even be aware that you're desensitizing yourself until all of a sudden one day it happens. All of a sudden one day, and see, that's what happened in the life of David. I mean, if you were to say to David, David, why are you staying home? Why are you not going with the army? You know you're going to get yourself in trouble. He would have said, what? Me? I'm the king of Israel. I'm the writer of Psalms. I'm the man after God's own heart. Me? Yeah, you. You and me. And so I want you to notice that. The next thing I want you to see then is the slippery slope to sin. We see it in verses 3 through 4. Let me read these verses to you. And then I'm going to read another passage to you, verses 3 to 4. So David sent and inquired about the woman. And someone said, Is this not Bathsheba, the daughter of Eliam, the wife of Uriah the Hittite? Then David sent messengers and took her, and she came to him, and he lay with her, and she was cleansed from her impurity, and she returned to her house. There's a parallel passage, and we see it in James. James says this, But each one is tempted when he is drawn away by his own desires and enticed. Then when desire has conceived, it gives birth to sin, and sin, when it is full grown, brings forth death. My friends, is a slippery slope. And here we're going to look exactly what the slippery slope was in David's life. We're going to see exactly what was going on in David's life here that brought him down to a path of destruction First thing I want you to notice, the text tells us is this, is that he desired what he saw. He desired what he saw. Notice something, he's walking around on the roof, and he's probably cooling himself, and then he looks out and he sees this woman bathing. Now let me explain to you, so you're not thinking of like what you think of bathing today, because in that culture they didn't bathe every day. Bathing, in fact, in the Bible, exclusively talks about the right of purification, And probably what happens, and we still see this today if you go over into Africa, is that they would have these community pools. They would have these community pools. That is, they would have these places where people could go for water, or people could go and do their wash, and people could go and bathe. So we're not talking about this woman just being at her house on the rooftop, having her own private bath, because most folks didn't have that kind of luxury of having their bath. So I want you to think, we're not thinking about you just taking a bath every day here. So David is going and he's seeing this woman and she is purifying herself. Why is she purifying herself? Look with me at verse 4. Notice what it says there. For she was cleansed from her impurity. What? She had just had her monthly time of the month. And probably she had discreetly gone out to one of these community pools in the late evening to cleanse herself according to the Levitical laws. So David's up on this roof. Overlooking, and he sees this woman. He doesn't, he can't recognize who she is, maybe because of the distance or the time of the day or whatever. So he sends an inquiry. He says, who is this woman? Because all of a sudden, he's desiring what he sees. He's desiring what he sees. See, that's what it starts. When you talk about sin in your life, it starts with you desiring what you see. It starts with, you've desensitized yourself, your heart, your focus is on self. You're comfortable with where you're at spiritually. You see something you want, and that's what you see. you see. See, and this is the pattern of sin. Same thing happened with Adam and Eve. If you go all the way to the Book of Genesis, look at what happened. She looked on the fruit, and what? And saw that it was pleasing. She desired what she saw. He desired what she saw. So we see that. So the next thing I want you to see, the next thing that slippery slope is this. He inquired about the woman. He started asking questions. And you can almost see it. He said, You know, I don't even know how you go about this. Like, who's that woman? What woman? There's a lot of women in Jerusalem. Over there on this part of town, who is she? So he starts asking questions. See, he's gone beyond just looking now. See, this is what I'm saying to you guys, when you start saying it's okay to look, you don't know what you're talking about. Because a look can kill you. And when let me be honest with you, it doesn't just kill you, it kills a lot around you. And so he starts inquiring, Oh, who who is that? Who who is that beautiful woman? She's over on this part of town, near this community pool over here. Who is she? He starts asking questions. See, you start inquiring. You start dwelling on. You start thinking about it. So he starts getting consumed with who she is. See the slippery slope? He's gone from a look now to an inquiry. He's gone from a look to an inquiry. He starts thinking about her. Who is she? What she's like. And listen, I'll be honest with you. There's a wonderful book you need to read, guys. It's called Every Man's Battle. Wonderful book. And here's what he says about the issue of lust with men. We are attracted to women because when you look at a woman, just think of a woman with a bunch of blanks. And the blanks are you don't know about her, so that stirs up an interest. But when the blanks get filled, when you find out who she really is, the interest drops. So what I have done in my life is when I look at another woman, I just already say the blanks are she's crazy, she's nuts, she'll kill you. And, and 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 I just go ahead and already start thinking, filling in the blanks for myself so that my only desire is for one woman, Lori. But here's my point. He started inquiring. He was wanting to fill in the blanks. He was wanting to fill in the blanks. And I'll be honest with you, the blanks got filled. And so that brings me to my next point. Here's the next point I want you to see is that he ignored the warnings. What warnings? Look at what it says there. Look with me at what the text says. And someone said, Is this not Bathsheba, the daughter of Eliam, the wife of Uriah, the Hittite? Here's the point I want you to see. He ignored the warnings in his life. What kind of warnings did he get, George? He starts asking who this woman is and point blank, right out, someone says, Well, that's Bathsheba. You know who she is. She's married to one of your mighty men. See, in the Bible it tells us that David had a select group of men who out of all of the armies, out of the thousands of the armies of Israel, there were 37 men who were mighty men. These were men who had been with David through it all, thick and thin, through bad time, through good time. These were men who had been there from the very beginning. This was one of David's right-hand men who right now was fighting where David should have been. And the warning is, man, this is my friend's wife! He ignored the warnings. Listen, I want you to understand this. I mean, so did you understand this is not just some, some chance rendezvous of, of two people in the middle of the night? He probably, David was probably the guest of honor at their wedding! You understand? Because in a Jewish culture, when a wedding took place, it was a big community thing and they had guests of honor and everything. And so when Uriah married her, he probably had the king, his buddy, David, there at the wedding. So he knows who this woman is. He knows that this woman belongs to someone else. He was ignoring the warnings and the person who told him that. Listen, you can almost see it. Whoever told him was very wise because normally when you identify somebody in a Jewish culture, you identify them by their family. You say, well, that is so-and-so, the daughter of so-and-so, the daughter of so-and-so, you know. But here he makes a point. Whoever is addressing says that this is Bathsheba, the daughter of Eliam, the wife. Notice the qualifier there. The wife of Uriah, the Hittite. He was ignoring the warnings. Listen, my friends, let's stop for a moment. You've got to think with me. Think with me. You allow that digression to take place in your life, that progression, you get comfortable in your life. You start focusing on self. You become desensitized to things around you. You start looking at something that you want. You start inquiring about it. And the warnings are there. You say, what warnings? I'll tell you, there's a, you're holding one right in your hand. The Word of God. Let me just tell you something. God does not tell you not to do something just for the heck of it. God does not tell you not to do something because He wants to be a cosmic killjoy and and just remove all the pleasure and wonderful things from your life. God tells you not to do something because He loves you. And He knows that if you do that, it's going to bring death and destruction to your life. And so He warns you. He warns you in his word. He warns you with other Christians around you. Maybe it's a man who'll come to you and say, "You know what? You know you should be being careful there. Don't be treading over there. Don't tread over there. Be be aware." But he ignored the warnings, and that's what happens in our lives when we head down that slippery slope and we start digressing from where we need to be. We ignore the warnings. We're ignoring the warnings. And listen, can I be honest with you? You say, well, I don't have any friends and I'm not reading the Bible. How does God warn me? Listen, He gave you a conscience. He gave you an internal mechanism that He implanted in each and every one of us that tells us what you're doing is wrong. But you see, what happens though is when we start desensitizing ourselves, we start desensitizing our hearts We just ignore it, don't we? And he ignored the warnings. So that brings me to my next point. And this is this. Not only did he ignore the warnings, it's the final progression. He sinned. You say, well, she didn't have to come. Listen, that's not the focus here. The focus of this passage is not Bathsheba. The focus of this passage is David, the king. And I'll be honest with you this is not like the United States in a democracy where you can just ignore something. This was a dictatorship, this was a kingdom. And how was she to know what his intentions were? She just got a message. The king wants to see you. So she went. And look, he was desensitized by that point. He just whatever it took, he took, and he did, and he sinned. He sinned. See the slope? It starts with a look. There's nothing wrong with looking. Oh yeah? He started to inquire. He started ignoring the warnings. And then he sinned. Is that real? But the text just doesn't stop there. If you go on to verse 5 now, it, it kind of tells you that it doesn't end there. See, we like to think it ends there. We like to think, oh, well, two passionate souls in the middle of the night. That's what Hollywood would tell you. Two passionate souls, yeah, they're doing wrong, but it's not about its not about culture, it's not about laws, it's about you. And you do what you need to do. See, that's not what the Bible says. Because there's some very real repercussions here. I want you to notice would be verse 5. Very simply it says this, And the woman conceived, so she sent and told David, and said, I am with child. Two things I want you to see here. First of all, it was totally selfish. You say, how do you get that? I want you to notice something here. The writer of the text is very skillful in his writing, under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, this is not just about two passionate souls getting together in the night. Because that is not the implication of this text. She is only mentioned by name once in these first five verses. I want you to notice when it is. It is when he inquires concerning who she is and it's part of a warning. It's part of, this is Bathsheba, the daughter of Eliam, the wife of Uriah, the Hittite. It's part of a warning. Then when you get to verse 5, notice something now. As far as David was concerned... She was just a piece of meat. It doesn't say, the text doesn't say, and Bathsheba conceived, because the issue isn't about Bathsheba here. The focus is on David. David is totally selfish here. No one else matters. See, that's the repercussion. When you start heading down that slippery slope of sin, and your heart has become desensitized. Remember, I already told you that this focus is on self. You are totally focused on self. It's all about you so the fact that she would get pregnant, she's not even worthy of getting her name in the text. Because as far as David is concerned, she was just another fling. See how desensitized he had become? A moment of pleasure. And see, that's the repercussion. The repercussion is, my friends, when you start getting off into that, venturing off into that place of sin, of digressing that way in your life, you are totally focused on yourself. And let me just say it right now. You and I, we become selfish. But there's one other repercussion, and that's this sin always requires a price to be paid. Notice what it says there. And the woman conceived, and she sent and told David, I am with child. Now you say, okay, well, what's the big deal? So she's pregnant. Yeah, but you don't understand. A different culture then. In that culture, for her, it meant death for her because her husband, let's be honest, where's her husband? He's on a battlefield, and he's not just away for the weekend. When they went in the spring and did battle, they were away for several months. So he's like over in the next country, Ammon, fighting a battle for Israel. She's pregnant now. What is she going to do? Her life is on the line now. It means death for her. So she sends word to David, and you know, here's David. He's probably thinking, "Whew, that was a wonderful night the other night, and let's get on. What's what's today hold?" He gets a message. You can almost see panic in his eyes. And so he just had a, a slip of a moment. See, here's the thing the enemy won't tell you. The enemy will tell you, oh, do this. You do this because it'll be good. You'll enjoy it. It'll tell you, do it. But what the enemy won't tell you is what it will cost you later on. The enemy won't tell you what it will cost you later on. The enemy won't tell you how it will destroy your life. Oh it's a moment of pleasure in fact it's interesting the writer of Hebrews describes it as this as the passing pleasure of sin the passing pleasure of sin that's how the writer of Hebrews describes sin the passing pleasure because that's it's only for the moment isn't it it's only for the moment sin demands a price to be paid and so now David has got a situation on his hands he's got to pay a price for his sin